Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Her Health, the show that reprioritizes your to-do list and puts your health first. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, AVP of Social and Influencer Strategy for Providence. This season, we're talking about why midlife health matters. Beginning at the age of 35, women face increased risk for many conditions, so it's important to know what to watch for and to get that recommended screening. Our goal is to help women make informed health choices for themselves. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Diana Curry, an OBGYN and women's health specialist based in Olympia, Washington. We're talking about hormones, menopause, and libido, and how those issues impact most women. Remember, everyone, if you have questions for our expert, please share them with us on social media. You can be found on Facebook and Twitter at Providence and under Providence Health System on Instagram. Use the hashtag HerHealth, that's hashtag HerHealth, and we'll be on the lookout for your questions. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our guest today. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Curry. So Dr. Curry, I'm so excited to talk to you today because everything we're going to talk about is of interest to me because I am a woman in uh, over 35 and I have some hormone issues going on. So I'm super excited and, and you're the expert. I know that you've been practicing and teaching women's health for over 25 years, uh, first in Boston and then LA and now in Olympia, at least for 10 years. So as an expert, I'd love to kind of hear, how did you really get into the specialty and, and what makes what makes it so interesting to you? Right, well, in my world, hormones and the endocrine system is everything. So um, I got interested in endocrinology and reproductive endocrinology specifically back in medical school. I um, did a Albert Schweitzer Fellowship, which is um, something that they funded me to study pediatric and adolescent gynecology issues way back then. And it sort of started my interest in hormones. The, you know, endocrinology of puberty is fascinating. And that led to interest through the whole lifespan of hormones and then uh, very naturally led into menopause and menopausal hormone therapies and things like that back in the 90s. And so I've been studying and teaching and treating patients with all kinds of um, sort of female hormone issues for a long time now. And it's never the same for any one woman and it's never dull, it's fascinating. I bet you've heard some very interesting challenges. Oh, um, yeah. I know that as we age, kind of our hormone levels change really even in you know teenage years, adolescent to teens to 20s, 30s, 40s. What's kind of a, a typical thing a woman should expect to experience in, say, her 30s and 40s that, that really is related to hormones? So that's a great question. Um, I think that there's a thought that once you get your periods and you're kind of, you know, a late teenager or whatever, that it's sort of the same through your whole life. And it's really not. I like to tell women that... Um, every decade is different. So how you feel hormonally and with your periods and things like that in your teens is different from your 20s, is different from your 30s and your 40s, and not to expect it to stay the same. So the only constant really is change. Um, having said that, there are certain sort of common changes that occur. Um, women tend to have less regular cycles when they're in their teens and less regular cycles in their 40s and at the sort of the beginning and the end of the reproductive lifespan. Um, and in their 20s and 30s tend to be a little bit more regular. Um, yeah, so it just depends where a woman's at in her own unique sort of journey. Well, let's talk about that kind of periods, uh, especially in your 40s. There's so many myths about your periods in your 40s. And, and I think people 
don't know sometimes that it's okay if your period changes or that it's supposed to change. Can you talk to me a little bit about what, what people generally ask you and what you, you would tell them is important to know? Sure. Yeah. So the forties are the time when so many different things happen. Um, typically periods will get closer together. Often women feel like they're having two periods in a month um, or they're skipping a couple of months here and there and then having really heavy periods. Um, so not only are the hormones changing as you sort of go through the fertility, you know, peak fertility time of your 20s and 30s, and then in your 40s, your fertility goes down because your your hormones are changing in your ovaries and you're sort of running out of eggs, so to speak, you know, so you're getting towards menopause. Um, and the other thing that happens, it's not just hormonal, but structurally things change. So the way the rest of our body ages, so our uterus ages also. And there are quite a lot of common changes that occur in the uterus um, that are pretty common and normal really, um, but can lead to pretty heavy, bothersome nuisance periods. Um, so fibroids, adenomyosis, endometriosis, all kinds of things like that generally slowly progress through your 20s and 30s. And then they might not be very symptomatic, but by the time you hit your 40s, you're beginning to have symptoms. So I see a lot of women who, you know, they're 45 and they just can't take it anymore because things have gotten, you know, really kind of bothersome. Well, I um, certainly understand that. I speak from experience. I'm only about a week and a half out from having um, surgery. I had um, an ablation basically. Um, I had some fibroids removed. I had some masses removed. I had had cervical cancer a couple of years ago. And it's been a rough couple of years. I mean, days where I was like, I don't even know if I can get out of bed. Days where I was like, I don't even know if this is going to be publicly decent for me to go out. I mean, it's brutal. Yeah. 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 So exactly. I mean, I, I think uteruses are amazing, right? They give us babies. I mean, they're, it's amazing what a uterus can do. Um, but, you know, then when we're done having kids, they kind of then begin to give us trouble. And you're not alone. Um, people suffer from heavy menstrual bleeding and get ablations. People get fibroids and you have to remove them so that they're not, you know, sort of having a, a Quentin Tarantino moment of a bloodbath during their period, you know. Um, and I hear that a lot. And it's just, it's awful, you know, it's, and it's, um, a lot of women feel like they're alone and they're the only ones kind of dealing with this kind of what feels almost catastrophic when it's happening. Um, but there are lots of treatments available. Um, these issues can be addressed and um, people shouldn't have to live like that. So that's what I'm here for. I am, well, first of all, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm also glad that you're so just, you know, pragmatic about it. Because I think one of the things we as women struggle is that it's like, we don't want to talk about our period. Like we're embarrassed about it. I mean, when I went in and talked to the doctor, I was like, okay, well, how many, you know, how many tampons or pads are you going through in a two hour period? And like, it was like, it was nothing. It was just a very casual conversation. And I feel like that's what's missing right now in society is that we're almost hushed up and we don't want to talk about it, but it's so perfectly normal. And you're right. It brings us babies. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it is it is something that's hard to talk about. And it's not something you even want to talk about necessarily with your partner or with your kids or your friends. You know, it's kind of embarrassing. And, um, you know, I I always have a joke when I'm examining people and seeing people in the office, you know, vaginas are like elbows to me. You know, it's just kind of what I do. And uh, yeah, it's you got to just talk about it. And absolutely, you know, women going through a pad and a tampon every hour or two. I mean, that is not normal that needs to be addressed. Um, 
And so I'm glad your doctor asked you that because those are the right questions. Well, can you talk to me a little bit about menopause? Because we hear a lot of things about perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. What's the difference and how do we know? And what's what's typical experience? Right. Or is there right. a typical experience? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody is unique and it is a complicated topic and there isn't sort of a one size fits all answer. But generally speaking, perimenopause refers to the couple of years or so before your final menstrual cycle. And unfortunately, we can't really predict when that final cycle will be. But the definition of menopause is 12 months of no cycles. So at some point, you have a period and then it turns out that was your last period. Um, but leading up to that is can be years of these irregular cycles, hormones that are waxing and waning and all over the map and, you know, people feeling like um, they're going out of their mind, but they're not. It really is a real thing. I mean, people's hormones fluctuate pretty wildly in their sort of mid to late 40s heading towards that final menstrual cycle. Um, and a lot of women, you know, they have more sort of typical menopause symptoms like hot flashes and night sweats even before they have their final menstrual cycle. Um, and then certainly after that, we call that menopause or postmenopause. Um, after that, there's all of the issues that we want to talk about to keep people healthy now that they aren't really producing a lot of estrogen because estrogen is a hormone that gives us a lot of um, health benefits. And so we need to um, acknowledge that. And when it, it decreases after menopause, maybe deal with some of the you know areas that now we don't have our estrogen, now we need to pay more attention. Oh my God, night sweats. So I had never heard of them. I'd only heard of hot flashes. And I guess I'm perimenopausal and I don't have hot flashes, but boy, do I have night sweats. And I mean, like, like you got to change the sheets in the middle of the night kind of night sweats. Those things are horrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, so anybody who hasn't heard of them, they're super fun. You have those to look forward to. Um, but you were, you were talking a little bit about kind of like the changes in estrogen and that sort of thing. Some people I know talk about um, hormone replacement therapy and that sort of thing. When does that come into effect and, and is it right for everybody? What does it look like? Right. So um, night sweats and um, hot flashes are classic perimenopausal, postmenopausal symptoms, and they have to do with the decrease in estrogen in your body. So once your ovaries are no longer producing estrogen, you're no longer having periods, um, then your um, brain sort of interprets this lack of estrogen in such a way that it causes these kind of surges of heat that, you know, travel through the body and cause sweating and cause people to turn red. And we don't really understand why that happens, but we know that it does happen. So hormone replacement therapy is really all about giving people back a little bit of estrogen to try to smooth that out, you know, try to ameliorate some of those hot flashes and night sweats that are caused by that drop in estrogen. Um, and so it, it might not be perfect, but it definitely can go a long way to helping solve the hot flash night sweat problem um, for women. And you know, it's not just the night sweats themselves that are the problem. They interrupt sleep. And then when you don't sleep well, you don't feel good the next day, you get cranky and moody and fatigued. And there's a whole cascade of sort of symptoms and things that occur that, you know, indirectly are related to hormones, but it's it's because of how the hormones affect our, our sleep for a very large degree and our mood. 
um, as well. Is it a little bit of trial and error to figure out what is the right therapy and the right amount and that sort of thing? Yeah, it is. Um, so I usually spend time figuring out each individual woman's um, sort of, uh, you know, her full medical picture. So her past medical problems, her family history, you know, the things she's worried about, her goals of treatment. It's complex and it's unique for each woman. And once you get that sort of 360 degree view of what's going on with her, then you try to tailor the hormone therapy for her um, unique needs. But there is some trial and error. So I usually start with a kind of conservative approach. You know, there's a saying in hormones, start low, go slow, you know, just kind of see how she does, see how she responds to it and sort of figure out over a few months what makes the most sense. Um, and, you know, we're not treating a number. We're not treating a blood test. So it's really important to keep a symptom diary. I have people pick their top three symptoms, you know, whether it's night sweats like for you or, you know, feeling moody or um, having a breast tenderness or having cramps or whatever it is, um, joint pains. You know, people have all kinds of different symptoms. Pick the top two or three and keep a diary every day, scale of one to five. How bad is it today? And what I like to see is that as I start hormones in somebody that over the next two, three months, those numbers that were, you know, the fives, it was terrible. My mood was terrible. My bloating was terrible. My night sweats were terrible. You know, over time, those get better and there's more twos and threes and eventually we're down to ones and twos. And that means it's working. That means I'm on the right track. She's feeling better. And that's the goal. I, um, I track all of my symptoms in, a, in an app and it was fascinating to me when I first logged in and it showed me all of the symptoms because my doctor said the same thing, pick the top three. I didn't know diarrhea was a symptom, like apparently yeah. from cramping or something. Like Just another wonderful thing we as women don't even know is a possibility as we enter this time of our life. Like, thanks. Like we don't have enough going on. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> we had a question come in and I just have to ask you because I had never heard this. Is it true that hormone therapy when it first originally started was coming from pregnant horses? Yes, that is true. It was refined from these horses in Italy um, that were pregnant and they could extract the equine or horse estrogen from their urine because there were high concentrations in the pregnant horse urine. Um, we don't use that anymore. Well, I don't use that. It still exists on the market, but really? I stopped using the equine estrogens um, back in the 90s. Um, but yeah, now we're a little bit more advanced. We can actually refine the molecule that is identical to a human ovary estrogen, estradiol. Is that kind of changing? Like, do you see more advancements coming down in the near future? Absolutely. Medicine is changing and progressing all the time. I mean, it, the pace of change and progression actually has even gotten faster as time has gone on. But um, we've seen lots of um, sort of false starts you know, with hormone replacements and, you know, maybe almost mistakes we could say that we made along the way learning as we went. But I think we're in a much better situation now. So um, really using the latest data to give the best possible safest treatment. So hormone therapy is, is fascinating to me and I think we could do an entire show on it. But I know that there's a lot to be said too for vitamins and supplements. Where does that play into our 40s, maybe our 50s? Absolutely. So that was one of the things I was referring to before about um, the protective effects of estrogen that we lose as we get older after menopause. And so really trying to, um, you know, close those gaps, um, things like calcium, vitamin D, 
really important for bones. Um, what we can do to help our heart and protect our heart from heart disease um, now that we no longer have um, estrogen. I think it's time for us to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are gonna continue this conversation because I'm fascinated. So everybody come back, don't miss it. Than blood that's deeper than love with my friends. People coming, some people going, some people ride to the end. When I am blind in my mind, I swear they be my rescue, my lifeline. I don't know what I'd do if I if I'd survive. My brothers and my sisters in my life. Yeah. Die for me. We run together, they're my family. When I get up, they gon' be high with me. I'll say forever, Her health and we're here with Dr. Diana Curry and we are talking about women's health as we age. Um, we've been talking about menopause, premenopause, hormone therapy, all the good stuff. Um, Dr. Curry, we talked a little bit about the hormone therapy and and um, supplements, but you know, what about women who think, I don't want to be on hormone therapy? Like, is there a way to do this naturally that's also graceful? Absolutely. And I love all of the alternate um, approaches that we have. Um, so in terms of what we're trying to treat, it depends on 
um, what the goals are. So if somebody has hot flashes, for example, there are herbal supplements that they can try. Uh, people have studied yoga, exercise, uh, paced breathing exercises are really helpful for interrupting that, you know, rapid escalation of heat that occurs with the hot flashes. Um, you can do paced breathing to try to, you know, reduce that, um, nip it in the bud, so to speak. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy can help because sometimes the, you know, beginning of a hot flash, it, it's not just the hot flash. It's like the, oh my gosh, I, I'm turning red. Everyone can see this and you start to get embarrassed and you start to get anxious. And so learning how to identify those thoughts that come on the heels of the physical change and then kind of um, working with those thoughts and talking yourself down, so to speak, um, can be very helpful. So mindfulness and breath work are really helpful. Um, in terms of trying to treat the lack of estrogen um, and its sort of deleterious effects on the bones and the heart, that's a big consideration because as we all know, um, heart disease is the leading cause of death in our country. And so um, estrogen does increase the good cholesterol um, and when you have less estrogen, now you have less of that good cholesterol, so to speak. Um, so the HDL goes down. Um, so maintaining a really healthy diet, exercise, uh, reducing alcohol intake, not smoking, things like that can go a long way towards mitigating some of those heart disease related um, effects that begin to escalate after menopause. Likewise with bones, um, osteoporosis is a big problem and um, we all know about the dowager's hump and hip fractures and getting shorter as we get older. Um, well, estrogen makes our bones strong. So when we low, you know, have low estrogen after menopause, our bones begin to lose up to 2% of their density per year for the first few years after menopause. So to try to make um, a better um, bone life for yourself, you know, you can take adequate uh, calcium, vitamin D, um, it's recommended about 1,200 milligrams a day of calcium. Adequate vitamin D is at least 600 international units. Though I usually tell people just go to the store and get those big jars of cheap, you know, 100, or I mean, 1,000 um, international unit vitamin Ds. Take one of those every day or every other day to get your vitamin D. And then weight-bearing exercise, something that stresses the skeleton. So walking, jogging. Um, things like that, that puts a little bit of stress on those long bones of the body are going to keep the bones um, healthy and fit. You know, the goal is to live till your 90s and to keep going strong, you know, just go, go, go until you don't go anymore, rather than having that long, slow decline. We don't like that. That's not the model of aging that we use anymore. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Working out is a great uh, transition because I was going to ask you, what about weight gain? There seems to be all this myth that we gain a bunch of weight after menopause. Is it true and why if it is? Yeah, yeah. Hormones and weight, that's a big one. Um, so for sure, there is a redistribution of weight. So even in a woman who doesn't gain a pound after she goes through menopause, um, she's going to feel a little fatter. So a lot of my patients are like, oh, I feel fat. My stomach's getting big. And you know the reality is there is a redistribution of weight and fat on the body from the hips and thighs to the stomach area. And that is a hormonally induced change that occurs. So if you look at how men are shaped, they're more like apple shaped. Um, so bigger tummies, skinny legs, little butts. Um, and women are more pear shaped, right? So more of hips, thighs, rear end. Um, and then 
as we get older, we all kind of get more apple shaped. So if you look at an older woman's body, um, she is going to have a you know smaller rear end and skinnier legs and tends to have more of her weight in her stomach area. And so that isn't something that we can completely control. Um, clearly staying fit and not gaining weight is the goal. Um, but acknowledging that there is a little bit of change in the body as we go through life, you know, it, that can't be helped. And hormone therapy isn't going to necessarily prevent that. Um, the other thing about hormones, though, and a lot of people feel like hormones cause weight gain, um, is hormones themselves don't cause weight gain, right? So it's calories in and calories out. You know, the body's pretty simple. So you take more calories in. You, then you expend and the body has to put those calories somewhere. And unfortunately that goes to, to fat. Um, but um, hormones do influence our mood, our sleep, you know, sometimes cravings, you know, think of PMS, right? Like when people are getting their period, they're starting to have chocolate cravings and things like that, you know, so hormones do affect our appetite and our cravings and our sort of mood. And that, that can lead to changes in eating habits that, are associated with maybe a little bit more weight gain. So there is some connection, maybe not quite direct, but indirectly, yeah. Well, we just got, by the way, I now want chocolate. Um, we just got a, <laughs> another question that's also very personal to me as well, which is, do we experience menopause differently if we haven't had babies? Because I haven't had children and my experience does seem to be a little bit different than my friends who have had one, two, three children. Um, I I think in general, the studies don't show any major differences between when women go through menopause, having had children or not having had children. And with respect to hot flashes, night sweats, and all the symptoms, there isn't a good correlation to women who have had children or not. Um, I do think that women who have had children have experienced more sort of hormonal fluctuations in their life because they did go through pregnancy, which is a time of increased hormones. So maybe they're a little bit more like accustomed to those changes and to what to expect. Um, but no, there's not a one-to-one -one and you can't predict it. It's so unique. Every woman is very unique in her journey through her changes in perimenopause and postmenopause. Well, let's talk about super unique. I have a friend who went through menopause and had no symptoms. Is that, is that, does that happen? Like I, we kind of hate her, but love her at the same time, happy for her, but you know. Right. Well, if you read the, the internet, of course, no, everybody is miserable and has horrible symptoms because <laughs> for those lucky people who don't really have a lot of symptoms and kind of sail through it, they're not going to be as vocal about it. But yes, about half of women go through menopause and really have very little or no symptoms. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had 50% odds. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, um, they'll have just a few hot flashes, maybe in their late forties, they had a few bad periods, you know, it's kind of the, the storm before the calm, you know, the periods get a little worse and they get a little heavier and more painful and they get erratic. And then they sort of have that final period. And a, a year goes by when they maybe had a few hot flashes and night sweats. And all of a sudden they realize it's been two years since their last period. And oh, gee, they're in menopause. I know you love to hate them. But I do. Uh, I'm, I do. I'm shaking my head like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, we got a funny question from Facebook that just cracks me up. Um, it says, is facial hair starting to grow to be blamed on hormones and menopause? Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> 
yeah so it is it is a thing that happens it's so unfortunate um as our estrogen levels go down our body's hormonal milieu so to speak the kind of general hormonal pattern that our bodies are seeing our our face our skin everything it's less sort of female and sort of heading more towards male meaning the ratio of female and male hormones so to speak is tilted more towards the male pattern so as women age, they do get hair on their chin and hair on their face. And, you know, they get a little bit of uh, thinning of the hair on their scalp. Um, you can have, you know, a little bit of uh, hair loss in the temple area and the crown of the head. And that can occur um, as women get older. You know, we often see our grandmas have much more thin, you know, brittle hair and a few more hairs on their chins. And that is sort of part of the hormone change that occurs with aging. Sorry to say. It's like it just keeps getting more and more unfair. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, one of the questions we got from a few people was about PCOS. And I don't know what that is. What is that? Right. PCOS is um, called, it's polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it is a little bit of a misnomer. People think that means they have all these big cysts on their ovaries. What it actually means is that their ovaries are growing little tiny cysts, smaller than a little pea. And in that little cyst or follicle is an egg. And those are the eggs that you're supposed to ovulate. But for lots of different reasons, if women's hormones are a little bit out of whack and they don't ovulate every month, the egg gets stuck in that little tiny water bubble or little cyst um, follicle it's called. Um, and they just keep growing more of those. And they're not producing a normal sort of ovulation event or an egg that pops out of the ovary every month. So they accumulate all of these little early um, eggs that are in little um, cysts on their ovaries. Um, and that's where the idea came from, polycystic ovaries, because you look at the ovary and it's got lots of, you know, little tiny pea-sized cysts on it. Um, and each one of those was an egg that didn't get ovulated. So the um, thing that a woman will notice is that she's not having regular cycles. So any woman who doesn't have regular menstrual cycles essentially might have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, it's just sort of a description of women who have irregular cycles and have um, excess male type hormones. So androgens like testosterone, so they might have increased hair on their face or their chest, increased acne, things like that. So um, it's a description of a condition which is associated with irregular or sort of abnormal hormone function in the ovaries. Um, complicated and many different causes. Pretty common, too. Is that pretty typically treated with birth control pills then? It is. So birth control pills were obviously invented for contraception. Um, it turns out that they have all kinds of uses in gynecology. So we call them period control pills. So they control periods for women who have heavy or painful periods. They can control periods for women who have irregular periods associated with PCOS. Um, there's a lots of non-contraceptive benefits to using birth control pills um, as period control pills, really, to regulate the hormones and make them more, um, you know, predictable. Well, another question we got, and, and I also have wondered, is, is is breast cancer more likely when when you've gone through menopause? Is that is there any correlation to age, menopause, hormones, and breast cancer? 
Yes, there definitely is. So the leading sort of risk factor for many cancers, including breast cancer, is age. So as you get older, you do have an increased risk of breast cancer. And so it's not specifically that you're maybe perimenopausal or postmenopausal, it's just that you're getting older. So there's um, more a likelihood of getting diagnosed with breast cancer in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, the kind of breast cancer that people typically get when they're premenopausal is a little different from postmenopausal breast cancer. Um, that's also true for colon cancer. Colon cancer risk goes up as you get older um, and several other cancers. So um, we do start screening more consistently and um, intentionally for cancer as women get older. Um, well, I'm going to take a couple more questions. Um, this one comes from Twitter and she says, I've been in menopause for eight years. Is that normal? My hot flashes start in the middle of my back and go from there. I'm on no meds and no hormones. This has got to end. Okay, poor woman. That's right? terrible. Yeah, eight years is a long time to suffer with um, hot flashes and night sweats and things like that, but it does happen. And there are studies that show that some women will continue to have those symptoms well into their 60s and 70s. So she's not alone, but she can be um, helped. And you know, maybe a little bit of low dose hormone replacement therapy would help this woman. Um, and maybe some of those alternative approaches would help as well. Um, you know, So for women who can't take hormones, for example, like women who have had breast cancer, uh, we do uh, offer other types of medical treatments for hot flashes and night sweats. There are other classes of medications that we can use um, to try to help make them, them feel better um, that are not hormones. Well, thank you, Dr. Curry, for joining us today and everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. In fact, we look forward to future topics with you, Dr. Curry. Um, make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Facebook and Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. Ask, ask.